Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. and welcome to Dwell, a podcast for homeschool moms by homeschool moms. I am your host today, Karen Kern, and I am here with my co-host, Renee Mathis. And hi, Renee. Hi, Karen. And before we get to our topic and guest for today, I want to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, The Hearth. The Hearth is a Circe community that, much like this show, is specifically for moms on the journey of pouring into their children through classical education. The Hearth meets online a few times a month for encouragement and instruction, encouragement with other moms, and with the host of the program, Tanya Roselle. And you might know that Renee was previously hosting, and she has passed that on to Tanya. So I'm sure that you would find it very encouraging. And if you would like to know more, please look up the hearth on the Circe Institute website. So today, Renee is going to introduce you to our topic and our guest. Thanks, Karen. It's good to see everybody and hear from everybody. And uh, yes, I want to put in a plug for the hearth. If you're a homeschool mom who feels like you could use some community and some encouragement, and maybe you just don't know quite what classical education is and would like to jump in a little deeper, um, that's what it's there for. And Tanya is a dear, and we're looking forward to having her on the podcast in a couple of weeks. But today, I'm excited to introduce our special guest to you. It's my friend, Lauren Warnamende from Longview, Texas, and she is a homeschool mom of, well, I'll let her tell you all about that. And she is an author, and today is a very special day in her author life, and I will let her tell you about that as well. So, Lauren, talk to us. Okay, where do I start? I mean, <laughs> no. <laughs> so my name is Lauren. Yep, and um, I've known Renee a couple of years now through a, a mutual group called The Habit, which is a a writing community, online writing community, and that group has really been kind of the the impetus for me to actually finish writing. But what I've been writing over the last few years, twenty five years 
is how long it took to write the the current series, the trilogy that I that I'm currently putting out. Um, but anyway, so um, uh, my husband Craig and I live in Longview, Texas, as Renee said, and we're uh, he teaches at Letourneau University, um, civil engineering. So he's the engineering nerd, and I'm the the writing and reading and literature nerd. Um, so we make a pretty good combination. <laughs> Uh, we have three children. Um, we're now all teenagers. One just graduated from high school. Uh, the other two are coming up behind her. And let's see, we started out as a family in Michigan, which is where we kind of grew up, though we're both missionary kids. Craig grew up in Africa. I lived in the Philippines as well as in Michigan. Um, so we had a lot of background in, oh, international missions, uh, our, both of our families are pretty academic, so a lot of, you know, we just loved learning, and we also have Bible uh, college backgrounds, so a lot of biblical studies and, and theological studies throughout the years, too, that we've always uh, thrived on. Um, when Craig and I got married, we, we were fully intending to head overseas ourselves at some point, and Craig got his doctorate at that point in civil engineering so he could teach overseas, and then our firstborn daughter was born, um, this was before our daughter that just graduated, our firstborn daughter was born, Karen was born with trisomy 18, a chromosomal disorder. So we were suddenly in a special needs world. And we were there for, she lived six and a half years um, that we were in that life and in that world. And God taught us a lot through those, those years. Uh, our two second and third daughter then were born during that time. And she Karen passed away um, just a few months before our, our fourth, who was a son, was born. So let's see. In all that time, we were starting into school. We were starting into life. We were figuring out where we were going. Um, we did have a really good school district where we were in Michigan. And I had a friend who was homeschooling. And I always thought, wow, it's really cool. I like that stuff. But I don't know if I could do that. But if I had to, I would try it, you know. And let's see, then in 2014, Craig shifted from consulting to teaching, and we ended up in Guadalajara, Mexico for two years. Um, so we did get overseas, well, at least in another country, international. Um, and we put the kids in a school at that point and realized very quickly that our way of educating was very different from the school system there. And um, within a year, we we had all kids out and we started homeschooling at that point. And I'm so thankful for uh, other friends who were there in the country who were also homeschooling, who could just hand us material and say, here, try this. You'll like this. My background's in education, too. So that was helpful. I always am amazed how little I've know, knew about like classical education and um, Charlotte Mason and, and these philosophies of education that somehow... I didn't really learn about it yet. And yet they were the kind of education that our family always did. You know, it was like how we learned and engaged with material was always that way. So everything was pretty holistic in terms of our, the way we've always educated. Um, and just delving deeply into books and, and things like that. So yeah, we were in Guadalajara for two years and then we moved to um, Longview and we've been there ever since. So I don't think I can ever claim that I'm a Texan, but that's where we are, and I love it. <laughs> well, tell us about your book. 
Yes. I should so, say books, plural. Yeah, books, plural. Yeah. So the first, um, so the trilogy is, it's a retelling of Grimm's fairy tale. Um, the story is made Maline. And I grew up on you know, fairy tales. My my mom had the Grimm's versions. The book that I first read the story made Maline in, it was one of those, like it was 1970s version, big old golden book with beautiful illustrations. At least I thought they were beautiful at that point in time. Um, a little dated now, but I still have the book. Um, so I love those stories all through growing up. Uh, I remember sixth grade, my teacher that year gave me um, Andrew Lang's Crimson Fairy book. And it was, I'd never heard of them at that point. And I just devoured that. I read it over and over and over again. So those, those kinds of stories were always a part of kind of the fabric of my thinking and dreaming and creativity. Um, when I was little and we lived in the Philippines, we got to go see um, Swan Lake and Nutcracker, you know, so some of these, these kind of beautiful artistic creative stories that with these sweeping themes, I always loved and, and biblical stories too, just that, you know, the roots of these stories that just always seem to have something more to them. And so I, the old, when I, I guess college, I stumbled on some of the retellings of fairy tales. So Robin McKinley's beauty and, and I think it was when I read her book, Deerskin, that I was like, I, I want to try something like this. I want to write one of these stories. I want to take one, but I want to take one that hasn't been done a whole lot. And so I chose Maid Maline because at that point, no one had, I didn't know any books that had been been written with that. So can um, I jump in here and yeah. ask you? So Maid Maline. Yes. A-I-D-M-A-L-E-E-N for people who don't know that story. Can you give like a few a synopsis in a few sentences because yeah. that's one of the ones that are popular, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and it's always fun because I can give the whole framework of the story and say, there's no spoilers there, you know, so then you get to retelling. It's like, okay, well now there's all sorts of things that you aren't going to know. Right. So the gist of the original story is you have a king and his daughter who is made Maline and Maline is in love with a prince. And her father wants her to marry a different prince. And she refuses and he is incensed. And so his result, his reaction is he walls her up in a tower with her maidservant for seven years. Or actually it was going to be, se- yeah, I think it was seven years. And then they were going to release her. Well, they get to the end of the seven years and no one's coming to rescue them. So they manage to get out of the tower and they find that the whole kingdom is decimated. There's nothing left. And so they go wandering through the country, making their way, and they end up in a kingdom. And it turns out to be the kingdom of the prince that Maline had wanted to marry. But he is now to marry a princess from another kingdom, who, of course, in good fairy tale trope, is extremely ugly and wicked. Hmm. So it's the whole story of the true bride, you know, that the true bride, the the wicked... um, bride tries to false bride tries to get Maline to step in her place and be the you know and stand in for her but then tried to take the place as the true bride in the end and of course it all works out in the end she gets the prince all that so I looked at that I'm like okay well that's cool um but what would be some other ways of looking at this and so I took the father I'm like what if the father has a little more sense and the daughter is more kind of a spoiled teenager (laughs) so she has her idea of how things should go and he has 
a plan that isn't necessarily the best plan, but it's probably better than her plan. Um, <laughs> but it also up the stakes and saying, okay, there's a war uh, that is impending. They're about to get attacked. How is this father going to protect his daughter? And so he gives her the choice of you can go and marry our ally's son, this prince, and be safe in his kingdom, or you can go into a tower that is protected by a special, uh, like the kind of the magic system is there's these sages who can, in their work, can kind of imbue a sort of protective elements of things. So she chooses the tower. <laughs> so we know. have a princess in a tower. I mean, what's what's no, not the law about a story no. with a princess so in a tower? You're yeah, you're um you're it go, so it's young adult. Young and adult. So I would that there are many young girls who that would just that whole storyline is gonna appeal to them, right? Yeah. Like so great. Like yeah. their father's not about to put them in a tower, but you know, they can imagine that they might love somebody their father doesn't approve of and, and what's the consequence going exactly. to be. So it's, yeah. Yeah. So, so what are your the, the first book, the first book is called exile exile, right? Yeah. Daughter of Arden mm-hmm. exile. And she's in the tower. She's in the tower. And the second book. Guess what that's about. It's called wandering. Here's an actual copy. It's beautiful. The covers. Ah, so the covers. So this is cool. This gets into, part of what we wanted to talk about, but the artwork was done by my girls, my daughters. Um, actually, the front cover, my second daughter, uh, Evie, did most of the graphic design on those. Um, Rachel Donahue of Bandersnatch Books did the the lettering and swirls, and mm-hmm. she did the spine design to make sure things oops, go together. Uh-huh. Nice. Yes. Yeah, so then, and then one of my girls did maps. She did the map work. Okay. And I want to hear the story. I think you said your husband, the engineer, the civil oh, yes. engineer, was very involved in the geography of the, of the book. Yes, yes. Yeah, we, we uh, early on in our marriage, you know, we didn't have kids right away. And, and we spent the first few vacations mapping. Because I started this, like, the year that we got married. And mm-hmm. we started mapping out. Well, he was the one that convinced me that it needed to be a little more than just a little romance story. <laughs> <laughs> so so we had to figure out what happened during the war. So we had our map of the kingdom and he's a civil engineer. So of course, waterways and where they are and why they are is important and where the mountains are. So we took different parts of world maps and, and put them together to figure out, okay, how, how is this going to work? What, what makes sense? Part of it was already based on the story, you know, sort of certain locations that we knew existed already. I've since added in another river that my daughter tells me is totally impossible. It's not going to work that way. I'm like, well, but I needed it for the plot. So we <laughs> diverged from civil engineering on that one. Yeah. So oh, he helped me map out. We mapped out a full three-year war that my main character never experiences because mm-hmm. I knew that by the second book, she and her maidservant were going to have to wander this kingdom that had just been through a three-year war and figure out what had happened. So it made it really fun for I, I deliberately kept it in a narrow uh, third person limited perspective of Maline throughout the whole trilogy. Yeah. And that was a good um, challenge. Um, you know, it kind of helps you do the sleight of hand on some things where you're like, I don't have to tell how that happened because she wasn't there. But there's other things that you do need to know what happened. <laughs> so it makes sense for the story. And 
it's just fun with the world building of figuring out what pieces do you need to know in order to craft the, the, the tale. Okay. So you started writing this book before you even had kids. Yes. And I, we all can understand how kids can kind of put a pause on a lot of things. Yeah. But at some point you picked it back up and said, I'm going to finish this. So you're a busy homeschooling mom. How do you find time to do that? And, and, how did that happen? So I'd say the the first draft of the of the first book would have been done before kids, and probably about half of the second, just first draft stuff. Um, so once we had kids, we had Karens, we had a lot of doctor stuff. We were doing lots of you know toddlers. You know how it is; you're just running nonstop. So I'm not quite sure what I did in terms of writing during that time, but somehow I got the second one done probably by the, before we went to Mexico. The third one sat and it was always there in my head, you know, like the, I knew where things were going, but it was just kind of that daunting wall of, I, I don't know how to start this. I don't know how to get into this. Part of it was, I'm like, oh, great. There's going to be more interpersonal kind of governmental dynamics. And I know nothing about that. So what do, what do I think I'm doing? Why do I even think I can, can do this story? So it wasn't until... 2019, when I joined the the habit writing community, and the kids were a bit older at that point, so they were a little more independent. And the encouragement of the folks there and different writing activities and things we had encouraged me to realize, for one, I could keep writing on this; that it was worth it was worth finishing the story, um, mm -hmm. that people might enjoy reading it. I I finally got like a beta, a couple beta readers, folks who were other writers who were who I was willing to hand the story off to. At that point, Craig was really about the only person who'd ever read it. Um, and also the other factor was my girls were getting to an age where they wanted to read it. And so between just the encouragement of other writers and my daughters wanting to know the end of the story, it sort of pushed me over the edge that I could finally start writing again. And it ended up, I wrote the third book in nine months. Wow. Um, now it did help. I guess it kind of helped that the last month was during COVID, the very beginning of COVID. So we had a lot of extra time. You know, <laughs> it was like focus time. Let's do some more writing. You know. So had you had any um, writing, creative writing training, or classes in college, or had you? Were you one of those kids who had notebooks full of stories? You know, like you said, you started writing this at that period of time, but had you already been writing a lot? Yes. Yeah, stories. Um, I was probably <laughs> the start of my writing career uh, was, well, even before that, my parents would have me write journal entries when they would travel when we were had to stay home. They're like, tell us what happened during your day. So there was that. But fourth grade, we had a young author's um, competition at our school where you had to write a story. And I wrote this book of legends. And I won the prize, which was, you know, total burst of encouragement. And I suddenly decided I don't want to be an illustrator, which is what I had wanted to do up to that point. I want to be a writer. And so that was kind of my shift. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a friend in middle school who lived by my grandmother when we would go to visit. We would just sit and write stories, you know, and I have I have a notebook that has some of these old. They were all kind of fairy tale-ish stories mm -hmm. that seemed to be my bent from the very beginning. Those were the kinds of stories I like to write. Um, a lot of Anne of Green Gables kind of influence, you know, you have very, very um, flowery language. 
Um, in college, I took an online course at that point, except it was on paper, sending it in and back and forth by mail. Um, uh, young writers, no, it wasn't young writers, children's, right, I can't even remember the name of it. I'll have to look it up. But it was, it was a, you had a tutor who was an actual published writer who would go over different assignments and you work through a whole series of assignments. Um, so like a mentor. It was. Mentor it really was. Yeah. And she was great. She was lovely. Um, and I learned a ton with that. I, it, it forced me to write things that I wasn't really interested in writing. <laughs> and a lot of it ended up being imitations. So like if I was in an Anna Green Gables mood, there was a lot of floral, flowery language. I had to write a lot of realistic things because I would say, I really would like to write something that was, you know, more fantastical or a fairy tale. Well, that's not really real, you know? So there wasn't really that openness to do that, mm -hmm. unfortunately, but it did force me to practice my craft of writing, mm -hmm. which was. A question for you about um, yeah. in your book, there's, and, and I can't imagine how it just seems daunting to me to just create a whole new world with its own history and its own names and its own geography and all that. But you also managed to, infuse it with a faith element mm. that you know as a christian i recognize oh you know the book of writings well that's like the bible and and there are songs psalms that they sing and there there is a, a i guess you call him god they call him the, yeah. the mighty one or the one the one who guides mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what was that like and and yeah tell us about that in some ways it's probably um one of that was one of the easier things to pull in because it was so much a part of my thinking from, you know, my foundational thinking. Um, but I remember uh, doing a Bible study on the names of God and realizing, oh, this is a really cool thing. You know, how you have the God, uh, his banner, you know, the God who's the banner over me. Um, oh, what's, I'm blanking on all the names of God. You know, there's so many in the Old Testament. You know, he's the God who, who sees me. He's the God who, um, helps. Who heals. Je Jehovah heals. Jireh. Jehovah. Yes. Yeah. Rapha, I'm like, yeah. You know, so all those different kinds of names for God. And I thought, oh, this would be kind of a really good premise for this God of a country that they refer to him by those characteristics. So in a lot of ways, I set it in more of an Old Testament feeling uh, where you have certain sacrifices. It didn't have the bloody sacrifices, which has been something I keep playing with. I'm like, can you do it without the blood sacrifices? I'm not sure. I, I haven't done that yet. That's for another story, I guess. Um, yeah. The other aspects would be just even the names of the story that you have, you know, kind of an exile, you have a wandering, you have a promise, you know, that there's that, you know, the, the, those, those themes of the way God works through the world um, and the way he worked with his people. Yeah. And the importance of the, the word itself, you know, just the written word of God that's, whether it's spoken or written, you know, just that how valuable that is of the way he meets us and interacts with us. Um, how did you come up with your names? You know, your names of your people, your names of the, I'm just looking at the map here. And then, it, yeah, the names of the places, Zeph, yeah. you know, Zephyr Hill or, you know, it's like, um, was that like, did you throw out a bunch of names to your kids and say, how about we use these? And then they say, oh, I like this name. Or, you know, yeah. was there a conversation around that? No. 
kind of fun family project. It would be. That, the, they didn't have as much input on names as they probably could have. Because um, <laughs> because most of the names were already put into place ahead of time, like before they were old enough to, to give input. Um, some of them were... Uh, I took Latin in high school, and so like Moraine Sea and Moor River, you know, I'm playing with the moor and water and rivers. Um, Arden, I kept thinking of ardent, you know, something that's just okay. the actual meaning of the word Arden, you know, that that I just thought that was a cool, it said the heart of what I was getting at. Um, Pandora, you know, kind of an idea, what is this? What kind of country is this pandor that that uh they're seeking after something that might not be great for them you know dranathan's death i think it was just the the sound of the words the aharan tribes now that one i did get input and it was funny because it was later on it was after I, I finally let my mom and my sister read it my sisters i was a little terrified to hand it off to them because my mom's an editor and a writer and it was like she's gonna put all sorts of red ink all over it she didn't she liked it but I had I had always had the name of these people. Actually, originally I think they were called the Goths. They're these tribes, barbarian tribes. So they were the Goths. And then it's like, no, we can't. Do that. That's that's an actual place. So so I called them the Calamen, thinking of the word callow. And my mom and my sister were reading, it and they're like, you know, we keep thinking of the Calormen from Narnia. And it might be a little too mm -hmm. close and give too many connotations that you don't want to have. So we changed, I just started playing around with different origin words of different countries. Sometimes you look up different country words and figure out names of things. And um, that's where the Aharans came from. Um, mm. I did find out recently, it was kind of cool. I kept the name Maline. Originally, I just put it there as a placeholder because that was the original fairy tale name. But I ended up, I'm like, she's Maline. I, I can't think of her as anything else. And recently I looked at um, a site that shows word origins and or name name origins and found out so it's from the german which makes sense and it's the german version of magdalene oh. so mary magdalene that. and it means tower because mary magdalene it was magdalene was the city of the tower or something like that so i'm like oh is that why she's malian <laughs> That's perfect. So I need to do more research on that. I'd like to find out, you know, why. Fairy tale. Did the did the writers of the original fairy tale also do that on purpose yeah. because tower idea? Because of the tower. I it mean, makes sense. Right? Yeah. yeah, but that was the first I realized that there was that connection to it, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to put in a plug for people who are reading this who maybe don't have daughters or. If, if you're like me and you think, okay, I'm too old for this. Well, you're not because I, I really <laughs> did enjoy, I, I finished both books. Now I finished the the second one a few days ago. And um, I, I'm as, as a mom and a teacher and a grandmother, I love stories with good mother figures in them. And so there's a really wonderful character in these, these, you know, I, I don't know what happens in the third book, but um, in the first two, there's a really neat mother figure and I love that you put her in there. And so I would just say, you know, if, if, if you're like me and you think, well, I'm not a teenager, so this isn't a book for me or it is. I think you would really enjoy it. So yeah, <laughs> I'm reading it and I'm, I'm only about halfway through the first one. Um, I had hoped to finish for today, but I didn't get to it. Um, but I, I, I agree. Like it's not just for girls, it's, you know, 
And I've been encouraged even, my son has not read it yet. He's like, why would I read this? But my husband loves them. And and um, my son has some friends who have read it and enjoyed it. So I'm like, so I guess even boys could read it and enjoy it too. Oh, sure. There's soldiers and, and yeah, battles and, right. and all that. Yeah. So where can, where can we find the book? Books. So the best place to go is, is bandersnatchbooks.com. So the, they're the publishers, mm-hmm. partly because then they get more and I get more from it. So for a mercenary reason, but it's also supporting indie publishing companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're a wonderful, wonderful group. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also get it on Amazon and you can get a Kindle version on Amazon as well. Ebook version okay. on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So what advice do you have for for moms who might want to write and maybe wondering, how can I do this? I don't know if I ever have time and and will will anything happen? I mean, community is a huge thing, whether it's an an online group like The Habit or if you do have folks, you know, friends in your uh, human connections where you just have a place to bounce off pieces and ideas and and stories with each other. I'm amazed with a lot of moms, young mom, moms with young kids, uh, the writing that they do get in and the, the planning that they that they're able to do. Um, but that community aspect, I think, is key. Just giving yourself the permission to take the time to write is huge. I'm still working on that one. <laughs> uh, saying it's okay to take a break and and it's actually you know especially if you feel called with stories, if you have stories that are just kind of there that you want to get out the best way to practice is just to write them down and not to have like, I didn't have big lofty goals of, Oh, I'm going to be published. You know, when I'm writing these, I just had a story and I wanted to write it. And soon, you know, once I had kids, then it was like, I want to write this story so my kids can read it. And now that they're older, it's even more like you were asking Karen about, you know, do I, did I ask about names of them? It wasn't so much for these three books since they were mostly set, but now we have continual conversations about world building things and what can happen next and what can I do with this? And we bounce ideas off of each other with that. Um, and that's fun with little kids even too, you know, just telling stories and letting them ask questions because they open your mind to so many new ideas that you might not have thought of before. Do you have more kinds of stories in your mind in the works? Because now that these three are actually, yeah, they're all. You have more, like you have more, you must have more to say. So, yeah, this particular story, it finishes. So the three books take the arc that is kind of the fairy tale arc. Sure. Um, and it, it, it's satisfying. It finishes what needs to be said in those three stories. But there is a bigger arc. And I have ideas that have been simmering for a very long time of next steps. So I'm hoping to get going on another probably two books that would take different, they would be different POV characters, but it would cover that final arc, that bigger arc. Mm. And it's just within the last few months that the fourth or the next book has sort of solidified so I know where I'm going with it because I really need to know where I'm going, like what I'm trying to tackle with it. Um, and so I'm hoping to really start tackling that this summer. Yeah. Have you have you considered doing storybooks? Like I'm looking at the artwork on this with your daughters. Like it's so beautiful. You know, if you could write more a shorter picture book, yeah. do you have any ideas or plans for that? Maybe? Not specifically, but that's a great idea. I love I love picture books, and I've I've 
done little short stories, I think, you know, now and then off the, off on the side uh, that haven't gone very far, but, but that's a good idea. Yeah. I, um, I did get two stories. Um, the rabbit room published the lost tales of Sir Galahad a year ago, and it's an anthology. Yes, of short that it is. And I bought that for some friends. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that, you know, anthology of short stories, and I actually have two stories in that. So that was a lot of fun. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I wrote a short story for the um, the Habit. They did a short story summer camp last summer. So I wrote one short story that actually takes place in my world, but it's kind of like at a different time and it helped me form some backstory stuff. So I've been doing a lot of that where I'm like writing these little snippets of stories that are helping me build the world a little more. Wow. Well, this has been wonderful. Renee, do you have any more questions or comments? No, I just want to encourage everyone to, to read the book. They're a lot of fun. Yeah. So, yeah. I appreciate, appreciate so you being here, Lauren. Thank you. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you so much. So if you are interested in these, go find the daughter of Arden books. And the first one is called Exile. And I know that you'll enjoy them. So thank you for being with us today, Lauren. And we thank look forward you. to you. Thank you. Oh, thanks for being with us. Here's to home. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.